Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Monday, March 27th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book, His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness and get access to a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. There's also a whole host of audio files you can download and listen to where people have been stepped through that worksheet process. And if you choose to listen to those, they can serve as a tutorial for you to help you get maximum benefits from these tools in the shortest period of time. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they apply these tools. And secondarily, because it also tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate it if you do so, giving us a call at 563-999-3581. Once you call that number and press 1, it will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll see that turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code and we can have a conversation. 
appreciate it whenever anybody does that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention with this work is to be a service, and that's far easier to do when we know what's sitting with you in a positive way, what questions might you have, and how we might support you in either learning about or applying these tools in your life. So that's why we're here, and we appreciate that you're here. And if you're not live, if you're listening through the archives, please feel free to send us an email, tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. Or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. If we get a question or a comment from you through the email, we'll address it on the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a, a response that lets you know what day and time your comment or question was discussed, and you can listen back to the archives for the feedback. So here we are on a Monday. We have plenty of time for comments, questions, testimonials. What's on your mind? What would you like to to do? How can we assist you this day in um, using these tools? 563-999-3581. How are things sitting with you this Monday morning? Of course, it's Monday morning here. It's probably a little bit noon or after in several other locations that are listening in. We've had a request to look at some of the uh, essays from um, the book A Walk in the Physical by Christian Sundberg. And this is another situation where um, we could work through the whole book and it would probably be boring for some people and a little bit interesting for some others. But if we had specific questions, it makes it far easier for us to hit the bullseye. The um, setup that I was looking at reviewing earlier today is a section titled Fear and the Ego. And in this work, it says the ego is the part of the self that wishes to protect the self Why does it need to protect itself? Because the individual is having a new experience. They call it the alien experience of separation. So the theory here is that while we're in the spiritual form, before we've taken physical form as a body, as a human, we do not experience separation. We experience this truth that our physics and our great spiritual teachers tell us that we're connected to everything and everyone. And yet when we come into the physical to have this experience, we are given what they call the veil. We are given the tool of forgetting our true nature so that we can have an experience of being separate, so that we can learn what it takes to stay loving even when 
fear is resonating through us, even when we feel alone and scared and separate. So this reading goes on and says, the ego is not a separate thing. It is an internal structure that arises as a response to fear. The ego seeks to relieve the individual from fear. How? By attempting to reclaim power that seems to have been lost. In fact, it was never lost. We've never been separated from our source. This is just an illusion of separation. It's an illusion of being powerless. And born in that illusion is this dynamic of the, the mind of the little less self that thinks, oh my gosh, I have to scramble around and find a way to claw back some power. In fact, the power was never lost. There's no reason to claw anything back. And there's no reason for fear in truth. The reading goes on and says, the ego's main activities include establishing belief. In this work we keep inviting ourselves to challenge every belief. In this work, we understand that a belief, as Krishnamurti would call it, is an old, dead, well-rehearsed thought. It is not about life in the moment. It does not allow you to live in the moment in direct observation. So the ego's main activities include establishing belief, in claiming false power, because it thinks it's lost power, so it thinks it has to call it, claim it back, and in justifying its thoughts about itself, in justifying the self. Justifying the structure of thoughts about itself that it is identifying with. And there are four different essays that it gives as reference to that first paragraph and the idea that the ego's main activities are establishing belief, claiming false power, and justifying the self. One of them is titled Relinquishing Judgment. And that essay reads, Judgment pervades our society. We constantly label, categorize, and place blame. When something that we deem, quote, bad, close quotes, happens, we quickly seek to identify who is at fault. The ego is deeply attached to the idea that there are enemies somewhere out in the world. But the truth is, there is no enemy there is never truly an enemy all of us are integrally related spiritually connected to one another we may be currently entertaining the deep illusion of separation but nevertheless 
fundamentally our true nature is we are all individuated facets of the same great spirit. How can there ever be an enemy when the other is always a part of us? Those among us who are acting hurtfully are simply doing so out of ignorance caused by being on this side of the veil. And that veil we're talking about is this tool of forgetfulness that has us be able to imagine ourselves as small and separate and needing to reclaim power, etc. Ignorance of our inherent worth and worthiness. Ignorance of the unspeakable love that exists for all of us. So those of us who are acting hurtfully are simply doing so out of ignorance. Ignorance of their own undiminished power, ignorance of their inherent worthiness, and ignorance of the unspeakable love, the energy of creation that exists for them. Everyone who acts hurtfully is suffering themselves, for lack of love has prompted them to act out of fear. Can you forgive your brother and sister who is suffering? They're suffering just as you have. Can you forgive them for being afraid? They're afraid just as you have been afraid. This essay asks us to relinquish our need to place blame or to be on the, quote, side of right, close quotes, for the sense of empowerment one may gain in doing so is only a false illusion set up by the ego. It is fake security. The ego may proclaim, I now have power over the situation because I have identified the cause of my duress. Or, I now affirm that I am good and justified because of the group that I belong to. Or, any other such personal justification of power. But such proclamations are illusions. Like all illusions of the ego, they are created to give us a false sense of comfort, which we often embrace wholeheartedly rather than facing our own fears and feeling our own discomforts. You do not need the securities of the ego including the, the security that judgment seems to provide. The truth stands firm and strong always. You are loved, you are cherished, you are divine, and so is the person next to you. That truth, when actually recognized, is far more comforting than the false comfort that any egoic judgment can provide. So that's the first of four essays recommended to explain this first paragraph under the title Fear and the Ego. The next essay 
is titled, Faith Transcends Belief. In the context of your belief system, especially a religious one, if you are feeling doubt, it's a sign that your reason is compelling you to explore. It is okay to follow your reason. Quote, capital B, I, G, big capital T, truth, close quotes, is not make-believe and does not require your belief to exist. Only your ego requires things to be a certain way. So the big truth of life, what they're saying here is, what actually is doesn't depend upon you believing it. The essay goes on and says, if you genuinely seek truth, you will look fearlessly into your own history and experience and your own reaction to it all. If you look close enough, you will see that your beliefs have deeply colored and created your experience. In addition, if you consistently take the time to explore deeply into the present moment, beyond your thoughts and judgments, into your self-awareness itself, you will find that your awareness is fundamental to every experience you've had, while your intellectual justifications and beliefs are not fundamental to every belief you've had. You, in quotes, capital Y-O-U, you have persisted, your awareness has persisted, endured, while the thoughts and forms that you've entertained have come and gone. You are not your thoughts. Faith, then, is not about simply finding an idea and holding on to it with tenacity. Faith is setting your deepest intent in the, quote, right direction, close quotes, which is toward love, capital L, love, and God, no matter what you call it or don't call it. The words love and God, both in caps, attempt to encompass many aspects of truth that vastly transcend all human language. But we might say that they include actually setting your intention toward fearlessness, personal responsibility, active relationship with your source, peace, acceptance, humility, surrender, joy, creativity, being fully present in the current moment, and striving to put the needs of others before yourself. Genuinely pursuing all of that is both much more challenging and much more rewarding than tenaciously holding on to any human intellectual dogma, creed, book, name, or idea. God, all that is, life, love, the extension of creative force, it all vastly transcends the forms you may identify her by. So your selection of the form itself is not critical. That being said, admittedly, we are physical beings living in dualism. So the form or belief pursued 
can in fact be extremely meaningful and important. Religion often serves this extremely meaningful purpose. And when you're ready, it can also be liberating to realize that the form or belief itself is not the active ingredient. Spirit, which we might also call life or awareness, that is the thing that is real. That is the active ingredient. And it is the mobilization of that spirit, including your spirit, by your intention. Intent, your intention transcends the forms of your mind, even as it works through those forms. You can, at any moment, let your faith transcend belief. When you glance upon truth, there is no doubt. You know it in a way that resonates perfectly with the true goodness in your soul. This is because at their deepest root, all things, including you, always exist within harmony, love, and perfect beingness. If you feel conflict, resistance, pressure, or fear, in that moment you're not operating from a place of higher truth. And that's okay. You, as a part of the creative process, utilize your experience of duality and contrast to expand and create. Nevertheless, your personal decision in any and every given moment, that decision to choose loving intent versus fearful intent, that is truly important. It is the very reason that this reality exists, to give you that opportunity to choose love and to conquer fear. Faith, then, is always striving to conquer fear. Faith, then, is always striving for the divine, however you may personally identify it. Faith is choosing to embody pure, loving, selfless intent. Faith is allowing the greater truth and the mighty river of sources ever-present love to flow through you in whatever your circumstances, regardless of the form involved. And this reminds me of the work with Dale Ellen Hoffman from the Ancient Aramaic. He says, the word that was translated by the Greeks and later into English as faith in the ancient Aramaic has a meaning more like this getting in touch with the rooted center of your being and then taking an action reminding yourself about your true nature as the essence of love expressing in form and then acting acting from the rooted center of your being the original meaning in the ancient Aramaic for that process that we call faith had nothing to do with the blind belief in some dogma it had to do with reminding yourself of your true nature being awake and aware of your true nature in the present moment and then taking an action from that place 
So we're exploring the concept of fear and the ego. And the third essay in that lesson is Growing Beyond Belief. That's the title of this essay, number 52. No matter what the belief, people will tend to find data to support it. In fact, over a lifetime, we tend to assemble complex fortresses of data to support what we already believe. As we do this, most of us believe that our viewpoint is, quote, true, close quotes, and that others' viewpoints are, quote, false, close quotes, or at least not quite as correct as our own. Furthermore, many believe some forms, whether they're ideas, beliefs, identities, or actions, some of these are inherently good while others are inherently evil. To those who are so deeply accustomed to living in a universe of duality, this can seem natural. This is what I understand is the, the Zoroastrian religion views everything as being either good or evil. This essay goes on and says, at the deepest level, there is fundamental truth. But that truth transcends all of the form of the physical universe. It transcends all of the ideas, all of the words, all of the beliefs, all of the objects. All of the contrast. While there is no word that can name it, since words are also form, perhaps we can attempt to speak to what that truth is by using this one simple word. Capital L-O-V-E. So, again, we're talking about things that go beyond what words can express and we're trying to point in that direction with our words. The essay goes on and says, while forms themselves are not innately good or bad, since a consciousness must always assign meaning to them in order for them to have any meaning, the movement of consciousness through intent does either align more closely or less closely to the truth, capital T, truth or to divine love. This is why it is so very important to deeply explore the nature of our own motivations and to act from loving intent, which aligns with truth, capital T, truth. To act from loving intent rather than fearful intent because the fearful intent temporarily does not align with the capital T truth. Loving intent might also be described as selflessness, personal responsibility, humility, and acceptance. This includes the willingness to be wrong, seek out truth and grow in the acceptance and service of others, even at the expense of oneself or at the expense of what one has previously believed. One of the main challenges is our beliefs 
tend to become invisible to us. They tend to appear to us to be assumptions about how reality really is rather than beliefs. In other words, our beliefs are set. The data that arrives almost always appears to support the existing belief. In fact, the same data is being utilized by different conscious participants in different ways. We don't often think about spiritual growth in this way. Instead, we fight for the form. We try to make sure that our way of seeing the world is furthered. We worry about it, we fret, and we fight to make the rest of the world adapt to the correctness of what we believe to be right. But the correctness of belief is not what the universe is about. We are here to develop the quality of our intent, the quality of ourselves as truly loving and authentic beings. We are here to face our fears and to accept personal responsibility. We are here to actually accept and support one another. That, far more than any claim of form, will further source energy's plan for the ultimate loving intent for this universe. So we're reading from a um, a walk in the physical, the book, and there's a a paragraph about ego and fear, a couple of paragraphs about ego and fear, and it references... In the beginning, four of these essays, and we've read three of them so far. And the idea is for us to expand our ability to take 100% responsibility for everything we create and... To learn to live more in direct observation, in the question. To understand that this universe that we live in goes far beyond words. That our true nature goes far beyond words and far beyond every form. And form is, is thought, is words, is belief, etc., So the fourth essay here is titled, Tearing Down the Wall of Belief. And the essay reads, We commonly turn to beliefs for answers when the world, quote, does things, close quotes. And it does these things to us that cause us to feel personal fears. Beliefs give the illusion of control, which makes us feel better. Thousands of times over a lifetime, 
we turn to our beliefs for comfort. We justify, bury, or avoid certain pains or fears by buying into the stories of our beliefs. If and when we eventually want to truly question our beliefs, we often find that we cannot because questioning them would mean tearing down the wall that we built to protect ourselves from what we didn't want to feel in the first place. It can be difficult and even completely terrifying to finally face the fear that we originally needed to help. We needed the help of our beliefs to avoid fully feeling that fear. Here are two brief examples. If you are afraid of being, in parentheses, feeling worthless, close parentheses, perhaps you have adopted a belief that your actions or your affiliations will give you worth. If you are afraid of dying, perhaps you have embraced a belief in a prescribed afterlife. Typically, we have many examples of such beliefs that we have erected over a lifetime. In fact, over time, our core beliefs end up becoming so deeply rooted that they do not appear to us to be beliefs anymore, but rather, they appear to be fundamental characteristics of reality itself. Yet, in fact, quote, big picture, close quotes, really exists firmly beyond personal beliefs. As stark and unforgiving as this current constraint set of physical reality may seem at times, truly it is subordinate to the greater reality of love, peace, and bliss. That is true even if we don't see it in our current level of awareness. Thus, if we are willing to leave the comfort of our beliefs and walk through the opaque hellfire of our fears to experience exactly, quote, what is, in caps, the truth of life, what Dr. Rice would call actuality. If we are willing to leave the comfort of our beliefs and walk through what seems to us like hellfire, the pain, the torture, of experiencing exactly what is without any beliefs to buffer it or give us comfort, we have the opportunity to reach true relief and joy. It may take incredible personal courage and humility to do so, but such are some of the most exciting and rewarding challenges to the spirit. So be brave and be hopeful. And when you feel you are ready, know that you are free to tear down those walls of belief wherever you find them. You exist firmly beyond the concepts of your local identity. And ultimately, you have nothing to fear by challenging your beliefs. This puts me in mind of a talk I gave once. It's it's a kind of a combination of a variety of things and taking a a piece of one of Guy Finley's talks. But it's about 
the benefit of living from direct observation and the prison that our beliefs are for us. And I think I made up this world where these people are living on top of an ocean of toxic sludge, acidic toxic sludge. And they have found a way, there was some limited access to a particular mineral that could be made into these toxic, acidic, resistant balloons. Kind of like couch cushions. Lightweight and strong enough to support the weight of a person or perhaps two. And But because there was such a limited supply of this substance, when people got to be a certain age, you, know, you get to be past being a toddler. When you're a toddler, your parents can carry you. But whenever they're outside, when they're not in, in the buildings, when they have to go out on top of this ocean of toxic sludge, the only way to get around was everybody was given two of these balloons. And um, just to make them more aesthetically pleasing, they made them into the shapes of leaves, and there'd be oak leaves and maple leaves. And, and so these balloon leaves that people would have, they'd have two of them, and when they would go to leave a building, they would put one down in, in the direction they wanted to travel, and then they'd put the second one down in the direction they wanted to travel, and they'd reach behind them and pick up the first one and place it down in front of them in the direction they wanted to go. And in this too, and and to not be impacted negatively by this toxic sludge. But of course, it was a very fearful uh, culture because you never knew when the weather might come up and whip up this toxic sludge, and if it got on you, it was acidic and it would burn, it could kill you, etc. So they only went out when everything was calm, and they only went very quickly from one point to another, from one building or one piece of land to another, and and they never went very far from what they knew was safe. And they always traveled on these bee leaves, these balloon leaves. Eventually they shortened them to, to instead of saying bee balloon all the time, they would say bee hyphen leaf, L-E-A-F. And so... As it happened, every few generations, there'd be some adventurous young folk, and they would get into trouble because they would travel further and further away from what everybody knew was safe, this small area of land that was not covered in sludge and these buildings that were floating on the sludge, etc. And this one young person kept going out and there was this area that was so far out that the closer she got, the more she thought she heard noises. But, of course, she couldn't see anything except this um, very, very rugged land, which, of course, they, no one ever went on because it, if you punctured your belief, your belief on this thing, this balloon leaf, if it got punctured, then you had no way to get back. If you, if you only had one balloon leaf, you couldn't travel across the sludge. You'd have to just sit there and hope somebody came to find you. 
But every time she went out there, she thought she heard something, some kind of noise. Something drew her closer and closer to the shore. And she'd stay longer and she'd get in more trouble from her parents and the elders in the community when she finally came back and they were they would admonish her, you know, don't be gone so long and don't go out so far, etc. But as fate would have it, she was just so curious that eventually this one day she went out there to the edge of this the ocean of sludge and there was this jagged rock formation and she screwed up her courage she went against everything that she'd ever been taught and all the stories and all the generations about how you can't go on that land no one who's ever gone on that land has ever come back no one's ever survived it you know it's 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 worse on that land than it is to be in their community and she just kept edging closer. She picked up one balloon leaf and put it down closer and picked up the next one and put it down closer. And then this one day she just screwed up her courage, fighting against the terror in her heart, and she picked up a balloon leaf and put it on the solid ground. And she stepped off of the balloon leaf that was on the toxic sludge, and she stepped firmly onto the solid ground. And then she stepped off of that balloon leaf onto the solid ground. And instantly, hands, dozens of hands, grabbed her and there was cheering. It's a good thing she was young. She would have died of a heart attack. She was shocked. There were dozens of people there cheering and shouting and carrying her away to a big celebration. And and she was just in shock, absolute shock, as you might imagine. Out of nowhere, all these people show up. And... One of the elder women there was comforting her, putting a blanket around her, giving her some soup, and saying, you know, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. And she finally, when she found her voice, she said, how did this happen? Where did you people come from? And the old woman said, my dear, we've always been here. We always call to you, you who are stuck on your balloon leaves, your bee leaves. We beg you to step off of your beliefs and come onto solid ground, live in the moment, be with us, but we can't make you. And the world opened up to her when she stepped off of her beliefs, her balloon leaf. It's probably not the best version of that story I've ever told because it's been a number of years since I've worked that into a presentation but it's just a story about how we imprison ourselves when we pour our mind energy into believing anything when we don't as Rilke would call us to when we don't live in the question wide open living in the question without demanding an answer because, as Rilke points out, in the moment when a mind creates or stumbles across a really good question, that mind is not capable of comprehending the answer. If the answer, perfect, total in its form, was given to the mind instantly upon creating its good, perfect, you know, expansive question, 
the mind would experience it as gibberish or the buzzing from another dimension or the speaking of another language that it's not familiar with. It would have no way to comprehend the answer. It needs to grow into, as Rilke says, if you learn to live in the question, you may live along someday into an answer. You may grow into the type of mind that can comprehend bigger things than you comprehend now. The truth of this is in something that Susan Bingham said in one of the last couple Internet shows we talked about, that as she's reading this book, A Walk in the Physical, she realizes that she probably couldn't get as much out of it if she hadn't already read The Way of Mastery and Course in Miracles and other spiritual teachings, uh, Jesus and, and uh, My Autobiography, etc., and if she goes back to those books after some period of time after reading this, her ability to be stimulated, to observe, to be more open, to see, to hear, to feel different things will be markedly different than it was before she read this book. Everything in our lives takes us to a new place we are always learning and as so many of these deep spiritual teachings say your true nature is that you're a part of an ever-expanding universe and intelligence you're always growing and expanding so it's not possible for you to ever be done learning about yourself if you are part of an infinite mind part of creation that's always expanding and flowing there's no destination to be reached. There's simply the process of expansion, of growth, of adding more and more experiences, and if we're successful, learning to be loving in more and more challenging situations. That's one of the keys that they talk about in this book as being the reason one of the possible ways to think about our reason for being here in the physical, to have form, to have a life, to be experiencing life as a human, one of the ways to think about a good reason for that is to expand our capacity to presence the energy of love, to stay conscious, actively focused on our true nature as love in more and more and more challenging circumstances. And that is an ever-expanding process. We will never be done with that. And Way of Mastery says, either in one of the darshans or in, in one of the Q&As, it says, if you are a part of an ever-expanding universe. And if you are part of the creative intelligence out of the one mind that's always growing, always expanding, how can you ever be done learning about yourself? You can't. So those people who want to arrive at a destination, this work, these deep spiritual teachings from a lot of different traditions say, that's not a possibility. 
and your higher self, your your true self, the, the capital S self, the soul, understands that and doesn't want to reach a destination. It wants to just keep learning about itself. Just keep growing. Just learn to stay open in more and more challenging circumstances. So we've got about 10 or 11 minutes left. 563-999-3581. How is this landing for you? What is this stirring up for you? 563-999-3581. Push the one on your phone. Like Susan did. <laughs> Are you there, Susan? Keep an eye on that. Yes. <laughs> Keep an eye on that switchboard in case somebody else. This is just the best. It feels as if I once again it's just exactly right on target with some um, edges. I was thinking about the use of the mind shifter and how that is a belief buffer uh, exercise. And <laughs> that's how good. You, that's another. <laughs> that's that's another. That's a that's a good uh, backup name for it. <laughs> <laughs> the Instead of a mind buster, shifter, we yeah. can start calling them belief busters. Yep. <laughs> Very good. Well, I have, you know, we all have our little frontiers, but having our house guest here has been one of the frontiers. Um, I have to breathe and allow and widen the margins of my judging self just to allow myself to not know what's going to happen. And... Question my observations, because even the observations might not be true. It appears that this person is resting, just resting, in a way not thinking about the future. I could be totally wrong, but I don't want to ask him because that might feel like a push for him. I am watching what appears to be uh, non action and watching myself thinking, well, there ought to be a time limit on this sort of arrangement. Well, who said that's a belief? Everything is up for for grabs exactly like what you're saying. And it's always fear, sense of pressure, not knowing, ego, all of that stuff that he's talking about in those essays that crop up these little these little monsters that crop up and say, well, you should be doing this and he should be doing that now and this should be the way it's going to work. And and, and you ahead. know where you get those, right? You got those mm-hmm. from your conditioning, from your family, from your family right. of origin, from your culture. Right. Yep. Absolutely, the whole deal. But they feel like the truth and they feel like they are right and they're the way to do things. And I'm just... You know, but to let those go is a kind of work. <laughs> to oh, breathe. not a kind of work. It's an absolute work. It requires vigilance. <laughs> you, you were talking about this in the last time we were on together. It requires vigilance, 
perseverance. Michael Ray says consistent, persistent application of the tools is required to change an Mm -hmm. existing pattern. And the longer the pattern has been there, the more work it's going to take to change it. Abraham mm-hmm. would talk about the the momentum that's created that is so strong. Yeah. Well, and, you know, my, my daughter who's a priest, on the one hand, she feels the pull because Jesus would say, you help people, you you give your resources, you share them. But she also is learning about boundaries. She had to. She had to get out of a marriage that was really hurting people and kids and her and he says, Mom, you ought to draw the line somewhere and you ought to lay a boundary. And I say, yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but I just say, well, things will probably just happen. They'll take their course and we won't need to do anything, which, you know, you always say it a certain way. You need do nothing <laughs> I, from the way of mastery. All of these right, but remember, re- 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 remember, yeah. Susan, that that one of the best uses for that, as I currently understand it, that phrase, I need do nothing, mm-hmm. is that any time I'm feeling that I'm rushing or I'm pressured or I'm judging myself as bad or wrong for something that's happening, the I need do nothing could be used by me as permission to take a breath soften, step back, be gentle with myself, and reconnect my awareness to my true nature. Mm-hmm. To remember mm-hmm. that I'm connected to everyone and everything. To remember that love is the energy that I want to have the intention to align with most and then decide how to act. Oh, yeah. It doesn't mean no action. I totally understand that. It's just that I feel a certain tightness in my chest. Not only do I need to do nothing, I'd better not do anything until I get I get a handle on what I'm doing. So, <clears throat> which is usually riding around on a boat, one of those beelies, <laughs> instead of finding my solid ground. That's a great story. I had never heard it before. And the beelies, <laughs> a great. Yeah, they they used to call them balloon leaves, and they got tired of it, so they shortened it to B leaf, B hyphen leaf, L E A S. There it is. Yep, and there it is. Well, thanks for reading those. I I've been reading, I've been listening to the part where a lot of questions are asked in the Sunberg book. I'm not up to the questions in my reading, but when I listen, somehow I seem to be already there. Questions are fantastic questions, but he's being asked to verbalize the unverbalizable. And I think it's the most disturbing part of the book. Of course, I could do a worksheet on that, but it seems <laughs> very... <laughs> how is it disturbing to you? How, do, how are you <laughs> well, generating disturbance around that? It, it seems as if coming around to peace and finally dropping the body and ending up where I hope we do, which is I don't know where, but it's not total oblivion for all eternity. Um, But it's okay. You've gotten past that fear now. (laughs) Yeah. 
No, I have. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I feel as if I have. It's still holding my sense of confidence about that, whatever it might Good. be. But it seems the answers seem very convoluted. And I think, oh, I don't want to bother with all this. Or is this making, is the complicatedness of it making it so that I'm going to say, oh, the whole thing is a bunch of baloney. I'm throwing out the baby with the bathwater here. I don't want to hear any more about this. I don't trust this guy anymore. I mean, I've come to the edge of wondering about there's so much palaver. Have you been into the question part? Some of them are great, but some of them are really challenging. Some of them are what? Some of the answers. Some of them are some great. Of his answers. Huh? Okay, but but I don't I don't need to worry about that. At the point that I'm in with this, I'm beginning at the beginning. Right? Mm-hmm. Whereas um he says all of this stuff every word we're speaking of here is just pointing in a direction. We can't even begin with our language to express what we're discussing. So so there's a point at which, yeah, yeah, a point at which if you start to get frustrated, say, okay, there's part of my mind that's trying to push me away from this or a part of my mind that's trying to comprehend something that it's just not ready to comprehend. Yeah. Like the the, the Rilke quote about living in the question. In the moment Mm -hmm. when you can ask a really good question, your brain, your mind can't even comprehend the true answer. It needs Mm. to grow and expand and live into an answer. Right. You know, my mind, back when I was first introduced to the book, The Autobiography of a Yogi, I was in a Catholic college, having been raised kindergarten, grade school, and high school Catholic. And when somebody said, oh, this is a fabulous book, you should look into it, and I found out what it was about, I ran like it was, you know, acidic. It was going to just burn me. I ran from reading or even considering reading that book. So you stood on your knees. Yeah, but... But that's all I had at that time. I mean, I was I was gradually <laughs> right. loosening those obser- I, uh, those beliefs with observation. I gradually moved to an entirely different level, and it was like a forty-year process before right. I was, you know, uh, introduced to the Michael Singer books and um, loved them. But I, I'd been through. Krishnamurti's writings and all kinds of other stuff between in that 40-year period. And all of that stuff opened me, and I grew into a space where I finally, when Michael Singer said, oh, this is a fabulous book, I could finally read it. But it wasn't a quick fix. It wasn't, you know, um, I just questioned my beliefs, and instantly I opened to that whole new level. It took me 40 years of growing and reading mm. and getting a doctorate and reading philosophy and weird spiritual stuff and Edgar Casey work and, and on and on and on. So don't, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater is our admonition. <laughs> Just breathe and soften and be gentle with yourself. I thank you for the call. I will um, 
mute you so you can listen to the second hour. That, that expends our time for our first hour. I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jeannie Rice and turn on her microphone. Hopefully she's still there. Thank you, Doc. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Tim. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. Uh, and deserving. Have a great show. Thank you. And welcome, everybody, from New York. <laughs> We're up here on family vacation. And uh, uh, part of the family went home yesterday. Part of them went home this morning. And that leaves us here. And I'm giving Michael a little bit of time to get dialed in. I'm going to have to try to switch computers here because the... I can't turn the switchboard on on the other computer. So anyway, so a little bit of technical challenges here. So as soon as Michael dials in, I will go switch over. And uh, so thank you for being patient with us. We were on the road traveling um, Thursday and Friday, and but we're here this week. But we are, are up in Climber, New York with family this week, and then we'll get back to Bristol next Sunday. And then we have my father's um, services next Wednesday. So busy time, but uh, anyway, just waiting for you to dial in and then I'll, okay. So we appreciate you. Glad you are with us. And like I said, technical difficulties here. And I can't turn anybody on on the switchboard till I switch computers. So just hang in there with us for a minute. And I'll switch over. Can't hear you. Well, though. Welcome everybody. You're on. There you go. Can you hear me now, sweetie? Awesome. Welcome everybody. Once again to Mind Shifters Radio. We're honored and delighted that we get to play with you one more time as we look at these amazing and life-changing tools that come along from the first century Aramaic work of Yeshua. Some clarification coming from the world of A Course in Miracles. And the fact that the key to this game called life lies in the realm of forgiveness, the key to health, the key to vitality. Recognizing that we live in a pretty much totally conditioned mind and the conditioning that each of us receives is usually based on some sort of a message from our culture, from our family systems, from our communities that Somehow we're broken, and somehow the answer lies outside of us. And our, our invitation here is to suggest that you might want to question everything you think you know. How's that old saying go? You know, you, we all like to have our questions answered, but seldom do we want to question the answers that we have. It's time to question all the answers that we have and recognize that if you want real health and vitality, you're going to have to understand the cause of health and vitality. If you want vital relationships, you don't have to study diseases in relationships. You don't have to study abnormality. 
If you want a healthy body, you don't need to study diseases. The, profit, the, the study of what causes and creates health in each arena is far more profitable than the study of disease. And, you know, you look in particular in our culture at the disease care industry. It's called big question mark in front of it to a great degree. Sadly, there are some really wonderful exceptions and some awesome people in the field. But you know, when you really look at the disease care industry, you know, over the last several months on two different occasions, I got to spend some time in, in a uh, hospice care room in a hospital with a couple of different people. And for instance, the food, that, the so-called food that they were being fed was just amazing. And, and, you know, here we are in a healthcare facility. And you think, of course, you'd have one of the foundations of health, real food available. And in both cases, the food that I saw being served was pretty atrocious, pretty sad. Again, there are notable exceptions. But if you look at the disease suppression industry for the cause of health and for the maintenance of health, you're probably going to be pretty sadly That's the word I'm looking for. Disappointed, I guess. So in order to understand what it takes to feed nutrition into the human structure, you're going to have to know something about actual food. And if we're ready to recognize the impact that the mind has on the body when it comes to health, you recognize that you can't live in frustration and anger and the projection of rage continuously and have a healthy form. Because every energy that is engaged in that's based in hostility or fear, no matter who it's pointing at, you know, if I'm pointing it at someone else, I'm the one who gets the original, they just get the carbon copy. And so if you look around at the so-called experts in the field of health, what kind of health do you see? What kind of health care, what kind of nutrition do you see? And ultimately, who's going to take responsibility for your health and understanding how to if you've got challenges, return to health, and if you are in some sort of a, a, a vital state, how are you going to maintain that? Oftentimes our culture teaches us to engage in outcomes that we know will produce disease, and of course nobody wants the, that kind of an outcome, but few people want to make a change into dealing with what it causes to move in the direction of health. Sadly, oftentimes the first drug pusher that a child sees is its own parents. Sadly, it's the child's own grandparents. Sadly, it's the doctor. You know, you go to the doctor and what do they do to calm the child, seduce the child? Well, here. Have some sugar. That'll take care of you. Sugar. I mean, if sugar were coming on the market today, it would be considered a deadly drug and would never be approved for sale. But the sugar industry and lobby is so powerful that nobody's ever going to stop it. 
So recognizing the barriers to health, vitality, wellness, well-being, financially, relationally, becomes an important part of understanding if you are living in a culture that has illness statistics that are atrocious, you know, such as today in America. You know, this country spends, outspends virtually every other country in the world by a thousand percent in terms of so-called health care. And yet, I, I don't remember the numbers exactly, but, you know, in, in terms of preventable disease, we're something like number 39 of developed nations. How does this happen? How crazy is this? And so one of the first keys to waking up from the craziness is to wake up from the conditioning in the mind. And waking up from the conditioning in the mind means that that conditioning has to be removed. You know, to, to remove a, an understanding that, you know, if you've got a child and you feed them sugar and the child smiles and goes, I'm happy, I like this, to, to understand the damage that's being done is a monumental mind shift from a culture where, mm-hmm. how many doctor's offices have you been in where they don't have a, a bowl of sugar sitting on the table, sitting on the doctor's desk or on the receptionist's desk? Oh, if, if you'll let us give you this shot, we'll give you some candy. I mean, it's common knowledge, but still the inertia of the insane messages keeps us struggling in a cycle that prohibits breaking away from those behavior patterns. So it takes significant work, and what we're here to do is to present that work in as detailed and as deep a way as we possibly can, especially the tool of forgiveness, which is the tool of removal, the way that you remove from the mind those energetic patterns that do not belong within the system, that do not belong within the structure. And that tool, of course, is called forgiveness. And even that one, we've been conditioned to believe that forgiveness is about how I'm going to let you off the hook for what's happening inside of me, as opposed to I'm going to change what's happening inside of me. And so our project is one of waking up to the truth of who we are and literally confronting and therefore removing everything that never belonged within our structures. When you recognize that this process of forgiveness literally takes one out of the energetic patterns of anger and attack now, of course, we live in a world so you just turn on the tube and watch a little news and watch how the so-called authorities, the wealthy people in the culture, the ones that are running the culture, are raging at people, have raging at each other, just crazy, insane raging. And, you know, the child who's brought up in that goes, oh, I guess that's the key to life. You rage at people. You tear people down. And... When one recognizes that the drug that most people use to anesthetize against their pain, and that drug is anchor, 
is never useful. You say, well, Michael, I've, I've used anger pretty constructively. You know, if I hadn't had my anger, I probably wouldn't have done anything about this. Well, you know, if I want to enter the, you know, the big race at uh, Bristol Speedway next week, I could take a Volkswagen bus from the 1960s and I could probably get over the finish line. And so I say, well, see, I have a Volkswagen bus and therefore I got over the finish line. Therefore, a Volkswagen bus is great. But I'm competing against cars that are doing, you know, 160 miles around the track. Now, my Volkswagen bus is going to look pretty silly. Compared to people who are functioning out of love and creating a life based in love, a life of anger is like riding around a Volkswagen bus thinking you're doing okay with it. It's insane. So when one is willing to collapse, when one understands that anger is an end result of content in the mind that is based in insanity, and one chooses to face those energetic patterns, that's when the game changes. And so that's what we're here to support. We're not offering the world's solution of pardoning others and calling that forgiveness. We're going to call that out for the atrocity that it is. To pretend that pardoning, letting somebody else off the hook, because some sort of pain is moving inside of you, is an atrocity. We're here to identify pardoning or letting someone else off the hook for what they've done, we're going to identify it as what it is. And that is literally pardoning. And we're not going to call that forgiveness. We're going to point out that, yes, that's what most of the world calls forgiveness, but it's not forgiveness at all. So our invitation is to let go of the idea of pardoning and actually engage in the process of forgiveness, engage in what human life is designed for and that is to function as the presence of love 24-7, 365. And, and when one's not able to do that, to look into removing the responses based in hostility and fear. So we're honored to be able to have this conversation. And Ms. Jeannie, do you have any thoughts and or do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? And we'll see if uh, Jeannie has been able to get online. I Are you am with us, on. I'm down. Oh, yes, you did. Loud and yeah, clear. I had to get the other computer, your computer. For, for I don't know what. Wouldn't let me turn on a microphone. But anyway, we have three hands up, actually. Oh, awesome. Let's say hello. All right. The first one is Miss Susan 610. You're on the air. Oh, wow. Okay. Welcome. Uh, well, um, I, I didn't push one, but I had texted Jeannie a question that I wasn't sure was appropriate to ask on the radio show. Jeannie, did you see my text? I did, but I also saw your hand up, so it may have been left over from Dr. Tim. It probably was left over, so... Um, I'm not sure, maybe sometime we can talk about what I asked about, but it's probably not right for the radio show. So why don't you do question, I mean, caller number two. 
Michael, do you have a say on that? Um, I'm open, you know. We can talk about whatever we need to talk about, so I'll leave it to you, Miss Susan. Well, Jeannie didn't answer my question of whether I should bring this up on the radio show. What do you think, Jeannie? Oh, we're here for anything, so go for it. All right. This is hard. I have admired Marianne Williamson tremendously, only to read that she gets really, really ballistic with certain people and blows up. And um, I don't know exactly what to do about that. She's the most brilliant, articulate, mind-in-the-right-place sort of person, but it sounds as if she's got this bipolar thing going where she, I mean, I wouldn't care about that except she mistreats people when she gets in a place where she's not feeling very good. Right. Did you know this? I, I actually had someone recently that, sent me some information about that. And I have no idea whether that's true or not. I, uh, I felt like during the last election cycle, the fact that she ran for president and brought a conversation about love into the, uh, into the fray was brilliant and awesome and was an opening and, you know, recognizing myself that uh, there are times when I'm not able to live up to that which I would like to live up to. I can certainly have compassion for other people who have difficulty with that too. And frankly, you know, I've never really been into Marianne's work. I know she's written a couple of books based on A Course in Miracles. But over Mm -hmm. the years, you know, 40 plus years of working with A Course, I've never conversed with one person who has worked with the course even for decades, who understood what forgiveness was or how to do it. So it wouldn't mm-hmm. particularly surprise me uh, if it were if that were accurate. And, you know, I, I'm still glad to hear that she's running again because she'll bring some decent conversation into the, the process. Oh, yeah. Even if I, she hasn't, uh, you know, done all of her work yet, which, of course, yeah. I've never met anybody who's done all of their work yet. Well, yes. So that's kind of my take I, on it. Tim and I had started to support her campaign, but now we're wondering maybe we should just continue. We weren't supporting it in a very big way, but um, I, 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 I waited for more testimonials from different places. I've only heard two from two different places, but they're reputable places, and it doesn't seem like a smear thing. She even admits to one episode that was so public she couldn't deny it. Um, And these testimonials come from staff members who say she'll get into one of these moods and they're terrified, which reminds me of my son-in-law who did these dislops. So um, I like that you are giving some breathing room on that one. Um, I've just been boggled and very sorry, probably had a chance to win the presidency. But as you said, she's bringing in a kind of thinking and awareness that we desperately need. So exactly. So for you. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's my take on it. You know, I hold the space for her, and uh, I hope she continues the conversation based in principles of love and forgiveness, even if she's not finished with her work yet. And, 
of course, I say that from the brain cells of recognizing that I'm not finished with my work yet. So, no kidding. Well, who is? Yeah. You know, we go back 2,000 years ago, and here's here's Yeshua, and they call him, I believe the word they used in the Greek translations was perfect, and he says, why do you call me perfect? None of us is. Yeah. Right. So my inclination would be towards supporting her, because if I I look and do a comparison, I have not... There's maybe one other candidate who's now gone from the scene back, and I don't remember his name now, back maybe seven or eight years ago, uh, Kucinich, I think, was doing some yeah. pretty powerful, constructive conversations that were beyond the norm. But other than that, if I look at anybody else that's out there uh, running, I, I've seen too many same conversations from any of them. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. All right, young lady. We appreciate you. You too. Thanks. All right. Love and blessings. Thanks. All right, Miss Jeannie. I think Joe was going to call. Uh, is he Is he the next that's caller? That's the next caller. 864, eight, oh, you're on the air. Hi, Joe. Welcome, good sir. How do you be? Hello, Joe. Are you mute challenged, my friend? Joe, if you're there, we're not hearing you. His microphone's on, so I don't know. Okay, well, maybe he's stepped away from the phone for a moment. Okay. So why don't we go well, ahead and we'll say hello to our third caller. I believe it's Miss Celinda, 541. You're on the air. Oh, awesome. Let's say hello. Hey there, young lady. Hello. That's who Hello, Celinda. Welcome. How are you? Thank you. I'm fine, thank you. Let me close the bedroom door here so Michael, can, I met Michael so Larry can have some peace. I'm looking at your name, Michael, on the phone. Okay. Sure. Um, yeah, the one thing I can be very relieved about is I don't really get flapped about politics anymore. And um, I've also realized that the only one that is going to show me which candidate has the most potential for healing, for helping to heal the country, is going to have to be revealed to me by Rucha. Um, I can go outside for opinions and for facts, quote-unquote, and evidence, and um, and I know that I get caught in my own belief systems, but when the, the dust settles, um, I really have to follow my heart. Yes. I so hear you I, there. I, I was just curious. Um, I so resonate with Susan because we're like two little peas in a pod. We've just taken a little different ways of getting our safety needs met. And it arose for me, for myself, as well as for the possibility for her, is has she gone inside and asked, as Dr. Tim was saying today about Rilke, saying, when you ask the question, don't expect the answer. There aren't any brain cells yet for it. It is in the living through that the answers um, 
may right. eventually come later. Yeah. So I wanted to share that. And, oh, my goodness. You would think that my resistance and my unwillingness has to do with not wanting to change. And what I'm finding out, this is in relation to the wake-up sheets, um, what right. I'm finding out that there's a whole big process going on inside of me. And one of the things Dr. Tim talked about was it's process, not progress. If it's progress, there's always a goal in mind, and that, which may be appropriate for the service that the conscious brain is supposed to support us with um, after the fact of finding out what, what life wants us to do. But anyway... It's boiled down to me that there is a huge process going on in my um, in my growth as the brain cells keep popping like a popcorn in a popcorn. And um, I have gone back to the wake-up sheet, only I have, I, I don't remember if I mentioned this to you before or not, but I have... I have taken the mental short form, the four-question right. one, Mm-hmm. And use those a lot of those words in it. I expanded right. it a little, put it into a seven um, um, a seven step, step wake up sheet. Format. I don't call it worksheet, Michael, because a worksheet to my four year old little Cindy is a four letter word. <laughs> Even though I can work my little hiney off doing what I want to do, you know anything that smacks of obligation or testing or school uh, in relation to having to measure up to a certain yardstick, um, there's going to be a lot of resistance in me. Sounds like some good worksheet material. I know it. And let me share what's (laughs) happened since I've started using these little worksheets. And I'll share the outline for you in case you think it's something that would be of value to anybody else um, who has similar situations as mine. Um, I keep coming back to what the Course in Miracles say and the way a mastery says is, I want to be right. I want to be safe. And if I'm right, I'm safe. I don't want to be wrong, because if I'm wrong, I'm going to die somehow. Either myself is going to die, the ego self, of course it is, but ego, who I know, quote unquote, know who I am, is going to die. It's going to change. Um, Or somebody else has... um, has put enough pressure on me that I crumble and submit to something that I know is not authentic for my true self, for why I'm here. So anyway, Sounds um, like. I need to be right. I need to have my own way. And I need to have the outcome I demand. And does that sound like a wake-up sheet? I'd say it sounds like maybe this might be your 77 times 70 worksheet issue. Oh, I think so, because it has to be with safety and self-worth and being right. Those are the three bottom lines. So so it sounds like a a good tool at this moment might be a mind shifter. 
Well, it might be. I'd like to share with you um, the worksheet I just did on my most recent issue around this cluster. What is the mind shifter? Okay. Okay, let's just write that down and that'll move that out of the way and let's go on with your worksheet. So so my offering would be that it's it's safe and healing. Shall I put easy in there? Easy work, sure. It's safe, easy and healing and I love it. <laughs> okay. When people point out my errors, And I get to own and forgive my mistakes. Yeah. Seeing the doing with oneself worth. <laughs> I love this. Absolutely. So that would be it. a good catalyst to maybe bring up another layer of this. Uh, resistance to teaching, to being controlled, you know, if you wish to be right, it'll, uh, it'll probably open some, uh, some unconscious dynamics so you can be at peace with those words and engage them or not. It won't, uh, it won't matter from the, the processing point of view. Oh, for sure. And, uh, cool. So tell us want... about your worksheet. Oh, yeah, I'd love to. I'll do my last one. I just finished it. I call it my short form wake-up sheet. And I like the physical sensations, so um, I put that on. And the date, of course. And I, I use Magda's joy meter. Instead of a pain meter, I use a joy meter. I just find that it makes my little girl smile. So, number one, my reality is my responsibility and cause. And I put in parentheses choice above cause. And comes from my personal and genetic mind energy, which Ruha, and I'm added, I added this, and I together can, capital C, capital A, capital N, change. And then I remind myself to breathe. Number two, I surrender who am loved, triggered by, and then colon, my awfulizing dark future imaginings. And Could you say that by, again? I didn't quite catch it. Yeah, by awfulizing, awfulizing dark future imaginings or scenarios. You're... I apologize, but it's like your mouth went away from the microphone a little bit. If you get a little closer and say that once more, I'd appreciate it. Uh, yeah, because it's a mouthful. My awfulizing dark future imaginings dash scenarios to feel myself. Oh, that's my trigger, my awfulizing dark future imaginings and scenarios. Okay. okay. Let me let me see if I'm 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 still not sure I'm getting the word. Are, have you made up a word called based in the word awful being yes. the word awfulizing? 
Oh, you haven't heard of that? <laughs> I, I haven't heard of awfulizing yet. I'm not, a, I'm, it may be a regionalism. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. It's like angrifying, you know, one of those kinds of words. Okay. Now, I haven't My heard that one used as a word, but I think I, I get the idea. Mm-hmm. So if, if I'm hearing correctly, okay, it would so, be the variation on the theme of making a mountain out of a molehill. Exactly. In the negative direction. Is that what I'm hearing? Okay, I got it. Yeah, you got it. Okay, and then the words of the worksheet say, to feel my, and then I put self-disgust. That was my feeling. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh. And I so, say... So I let me, let me can, I, can I inter- interrupt you there? Mm-hmm. Okay. So self-disgust would be a thought that isn't a feeling. I don't know. How come disgust gives me a sick feeling in my stomach and a bad taste in my mouth? Because it's a mind energy that doesn't belong there. So, so emotion, the emotion there would be... I'm so exploring whether I... Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I would, you know, I, I, I would hear, hear self-disgust as a, a thought disorder where I have judged myself as having done something so terrible, terrible or wrong or, you know, whatever the word is there. And, you know, feeling-wise, in terms of sensations in the body, it creates sick to the stomach. When you started to say that, all of a sudden judgment jumped into my brain. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I see Self-judgment. where it's really a yeah. judgment. Yeah. Which comes from our yeah. thought, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what would I put in there instead? Um, uh, what suggestions do you have so I can and I can find the right word? Well, if I found myself awfulizing my behavior to the point where it makes me feel physically ill, I would think that the emotion might be grief, sadness, perhaps anger towards self. I don't know. It could go in many directions. Okay, I'm going to put all of them in there because uh, grief, I have some more that are kind of in the yeah. in the wing. Right, and grief would go in the direction of, you know, uh, a worksheet based in loss, you know, that I've lost something because of That's how more help bad I am or how wrong I am or whatever that word is. The, for me, it would be helplessness. Hopefully, oh, okay. It was mm. I would say uh, um, it could be my hatred for myself, my rejection. That's a big one. Yeah. That's one of the very deepest core issues that somebody could confront. That's awesome that that's surfacing for healing. Yeah, I remember the That's first time I did it. That's why I do to other what I feel about myself. 
projecting that out there on the world. So it's not really, nothing is about them. I love that Talmud expression where it talks about we do not see things as they are, we see things as we are. As we are, exactly. Mm-hmm. Shall we go on? Are you okay? Go for it. Okay, so we have decided that this could be grief, uh, which would be deeper than sadness. I think I think what's going on is deeper than sadness. Uh, hatred, which would be even deeper than the anger, I think. Um, uh, self-rejection, all of these I will play with because I'll be using this worksheet again. Really, uh, sorry, Cindy, uh, wake-up sheet again. It will be really helpful. So the thought behind my, what I wrote in there was self-disgust, but but I could be anything else, is my future is dark and scary and hopeless, Mm. and I am unable or unwilling. I put that in because I don't know. I now am very accepting about my unwillingness, uh, Michael, because I'm not sure whether it's unwillingness or unableness, you know, like hopelessness, right. helpless, uh, yeah, sort of thing. So I'm I'm having to learn compassion. Hopefully it will spring out into my world <laughs> as I learn it for myself. Uh, I am unable to stop my awfulizing. Okay. There, I should have, I could have said one word here, awfulizing. <laughs> Because it's all awfulizing is always about the future for me. Oh my God, no, I'm not going to be able to handle this, or I'm going to screw it up, or that sort of thing. And I'm I'm going to go blind, or I'm going to get sick and die, and nobody will help me, and you know that sort of stuff. So mm, I am allows me to breathe here. I breathe after my emotion, my thought, and my goal. I think. My goal what is your goal? My goal, that's number three. My goal behind the thought is that I must change right now and get it right and perfect so I can be loved, worthy, and safe. So I can be. That's what Magda helped, Magda helped me so much with. Yeah, yeah that's perfect. I, I looked at that one day and I said, this is outcome. This is wanting to have it my way. Yeah. My ego. So, yeah. So the thought you just repeated sounds like thoughts about yourself. And the goal that I hear, and you know, in the words that you said. The goal that I think is key in this one for you is to have a bright and abundant future. Right. And joyful. So I'd make a note of that as the goal that's probably the primo goal that's going to need to be canceled for you to drop into the next depth of what needs to surface for healing. Beautiful. And may I add future to that, uh, um, joyful to that? Sure, absolutely. Absolutely, that sounds right on track. Peaceful in relation to harmonious. Maybe harmonious would be better. 
Mm-hmm. But peaceful for me means harmonious and calm. Not the calm of the kind of peace that's forced, but the calm of the peace that is that peace that passes all understanding. Yeah, it's interesting. If you go to the Aramaic, where the the, uh, Greeks tell us that Yeshua said, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you, the word was actually serenity. No wonder there's a serenity prayer. Yeah, yeah. Peace is a word that sources from war thinking. Serenity is a word that represents a state of expression of being that I think takes us to a whole different level. I like it. I'll dig out the serenity prayer again from my old 12-step work. Mm. Nice. That sources from being, you said. Mm-hmm. I'm writing all this down. I realize that that's one of the ways I learn is by writing it down. No wonder you have us doing wake-up sheets. I'm with you. Okay. Are we num- ready for number four? I hope Go my, for it. my apple is not interfering. If it is, let me know. I won't munch it. Go for it. I've been trying to intermediate fast. Um, our last Ruha's I asked Ruha's help to show me the hidden parts of my CBM and to assist me in resetting Rahma and Kuba for changing my reality and its effects. I am ready and willing to learn the truth, to live this truth in my life, and to live this truth in my life. And I breathe. Nice. I have to remind myself to breathe because I'm a real breath holder. You know, what I what I hear you doing, Celinda, and it's powerful to listen to you unravel it. I think this is probably, you know, this short recording would be one you could probably listen to a dozen times and benefit from because you're unraveling some of the deepest, darkest power person messages that have probably governed your bloodline for centuries. It had to do with physical and emotional and mental survival, all three of them. Number five, are you ready? Go for it. I now cancel capital C, capital A, capital N, capital C, capital E, capital L, my goal capital G, capital O, capital A, capital L, that, colon, I must change right now and get it right and perfect so I can be loved, worthy, and safe. Hmm. And I breathe. I love the idea of um, crossing it out like Magda said, too. Only I like to write it down as well. So I'm going to cross it out right now. I haven't crossed it out yet. It's good to keep a record of even the subtlest thoughts. Fact, uh, that's one of the reasons. Thought? Subtle. Subtle. Okay. Those that sometimes we'd hardly notice. Right. For me, that's one of the reasons what I've found beneficial for me in doing worksheets 
is that when I'm writing it, I pay attention in a new way to things that otherwise I realize I normally just ignore. And when I do write it and I allow myself to really focus in on those subtler energies, it's like, oh, my goodness, what's what needs to be cleaned up is monumental. Yeah, because they flash through so subtly that um, the slowing down in my writing helps me to see them, to catch them. Exactly, yeah. But I don't if there's just mental. I mean, they 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 submerge themselves back into the subconscious. You know, they just right. disappear. It's easy to slide past them. Yeah, yeah. Okay, number six. Like, I like that line in... I'm sorry. Like the line in Paul Simon's song, slip sliding away. You know, the yeah. nearer your destination, the more you slip sliding away. And the nearer one gets to confronting some of these deeper issues that you know, generations have not wanted to confront. The more they turn to, you know, just give me a fifth of scotch. Let me go, you know, let me go have some sugar. Let me do a little rage. You know, all the ways that people avoid touching into those deeply painful yet uh, deeply hidden thoughts. So it's powerful. Uh, I'm flashing on my 23 years of bulimia. And, you know, it's sort of something that always um, lives with me in relation to that is my weak link and I have to be vigilant and careful. And so now after more than 23 years, oh, my goodness, probably 30-some years of not doing that anymore with a couple of relapses early, right afterwards, um, what right. I have come to me is that I live with that. It's like the elephant in the house, only I know what's there, right. and i got to work around it. So now if I feel that, if the feelings get intense, so intense, I will go get an apple, or I will go get um, some, some whole uh, unprocessed food, you know, a carrot stick, anything. Uh, and as long as it doesn't have sugar in it, <laughs> uh, right. other than in its natural package, you know, like a potato or something like that. Um, and I will, I will eat that, feel comforted by it, and feel like, oh, this is like someone who is so per- depressed that they have to have medication, minimal medication, uh, not all the time just in the worst moments to to allow themselves to continue on. And it reminds me of uh, Beeler's book in the six, early 60s, late 50s, Food is Your Best Medicine. And right. I don't know if you've ever read that book, um, but um, that's what it is. It's sort of like you learn uh, food is your best medicine. Just be conscious. Absolutely conscious so it's helping um number six i believe um i reconnect with rucha and source i use them both because i know they're just different faces of this life energy that is my life but i will use whatever word comes up for this great mystery 
that I'm, um, I reconnect with Ruha and Source and ask for CAP love. And I always put a heart around love or life that has a capital L to remind me. Uh, Two, and then my blank is heal me on all levels so life can flow through me out into my world. That's what I'm asking. Number seven, I now feel compassion, self-compassion, and offer myself my new goal of choosing to act from love and self-harmony as I do more wake-up sheets, as I do one more wake-up sheet. I give myself permission to do only one more wake-up sheet before bedtime tomorrow night. And sometimes I'm successful and sometimes I'm not. But you know what? That worksheet gets done. Uh, The wake-up sheet gets done. Right, right. Perfect. It gets done. Not exactly when I'm, but I get it done. Right. Another another little piece that might that intuitively occurs to me might assist here is that I got the clarity that you are now committed to functioning from love, the true state of being, and it might help to also put in there the willingness to embrace whatever you uncover that is not love. I'm writing this down. Because oftentimes, as I get more committed to functioning as love, the parts of me that aren't in harmony with that, that's going to kind of act like a mind shifter, and they're going to tend to be right there in my face. And if the old habit prevails, I'll probably just stuff it back down again. And here would be a good place to affirm that it's okay for me to see that, to feel it, to experience it, to embrace it, and to process through it. To see it, feel it. Feel it, embrace it, and process through it. I love the word embrace. I've been using embrace a lot in my writings. Hmm. Sweet. To process it through That's another thing that I have been working with. I've been working with the Nidra Yoga, which comes from that place. I've been working with, um, I have a little ditty that I might have shared with you already. I don't remember. And it's about my eyes, but it's really about my life. May I embrace my world with all the wide-eyed, soft-eyed, clear-eyed wonder I can find. May I cultivate an open mind, a gentle heart, and a willing body. Soul desires such a garden to grow in. Nice. Nice work, young lady. It allows me to live a few more years so I can learn more goodies in this life that I came to live, that that would be pretty fun. I'll join you in that. But it's okay, whatever. 
that's it. So does that little worksheet, little, oops, wake-up sheet, sorry, Cindy, does that little wake-up sheet help? Sounds like you're right on track. Sounds like it's opening some really deep spaces in you. And my my offering is that, um, you know, what I've discovered over the years in observing is that people who really talk about being sorry end up being sorry people. And if you're going to do yeah. an apology to yourself, you might want to just shift out of the, the culture's idea of sorry and let go of that. I remember the movie Love Means You Never Have to Say You're Sorry. Right. And I, that, that movie, I can remember seeing that movie decades ago, and it's like, I know that just doesn't make sense to me until I started to really develop ago. this work and then realized that, yeah, if I'm off base, I want to apologize, but I don't ever have to move into sorry because it's just a sorry state to be in. But I can apologize to myself. And, and you know what? You could befriend the word work, and realize, like, you know, you go out and you work in the garden and you love it and you enjoy it and you have fun with it. It's not a, ba- a four-letter word. It's not a bad word. But if the connotation was, you know, I'm going to get beaten or abused or, you know, whatever that connotation is, of course, that can be healed and the word work can be a wonderful, joyful word. Mm-hmm. Whatever content I choose to give it. But... Well, the minute and Cindy will I'm enjoy sorry. Cindy will probably enjoy it, too. Yeah, she probably would. Just don't call me that, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Little thing. Um, when I say I'm sorry, what I'm basically telling myself is I'm wrong. And that's and, the whole you know, point. When, I listen, when I listen to the work you're doing, what you've just shared with us and how you're adapting the worksheet for your mind, that's mm-hmm. right on track, young lady. That's right and that's on track. About pardoning too. Pardoning has to do with you're wrong, but we'll let you off the hook. It's what I call mercy, which is appropriate for animals and life that's programmed for survival, but it's not appropriate for human beings. And the ones who are usually pardoned are the ones who have the influence and the power to be pardoned. And the ones who are innocent that are pardoned and get out of prison is so that the pardoning party doesn't have to be accountable. So smoke that in our peace pipes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> well, sounds like a whole new level of opening happening for you. That's awesome. I hope so. The next one is that I listen twice as often as I speak. That would be a real good one. (laughs) Or as Mm -hmm. as, um, St. Francis said when he was asked how often that someone should preach to someone else, he said, preach always, and if you need to, use words. Right. And we were given two two ears and one mouth for a reason. Exactly. There you go. Sweet. Sounds like a plan. I'm complete. All right, young lady. We appreciate you. Nice work. All right. Appreciate you, too, and Dr. Tim, and everybody who calls in. What a sweet, sweet community. We are blessed, for sure.
Definitely blessed. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. You. All right. Blessings. Take care. Bye-bye. <clears throat> Well, Miss Jeannie? Well, Joe dropped off, so he must have had to go somewhere else. But we are down to about two minutes. So So we'll just say appreciation to everyone for joining us. And uh, thank you for your support. We deeply, deeply benefit from the opportunity to share these tools and to bring this work out to the globe on uh, wider and wider levels and your part in doing that. So I'll just invite you to the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world and blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself, Jeannie Rice, and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pache as we present the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Mind Shifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org.